the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgive me the iniquity of my sin. Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, who has given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake grant us remission of all of our sins, and by your Holy Spirit, and increase in us your knowledge of you and of your will, and through obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given His only Son to die for us. And for His sake, forgives us all of our sins. For those who believe on His name, He gives the power to become the children of God and has given them His Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, O Lord, unto us all. Amen.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. And though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all of our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading, appointed for this the fourth Sunday in Lent, is from the book of Numbers, the 21st chapter. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the second chapter. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of, la of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
we stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Christ. Together now we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the second chapter of Ephesians, these words, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is our text. Dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ, a modern author by the name of Kay Allenbaugh tells an interesting and rather humorous story about a certain woman whose name was Anita Milner. And you see, it was Anita's 50th birthday, and so to offset the ribbing that Anita knew that she was going to get from all of her colleagues at work, Anita's daughter decided to give Anita a big pin. And on the pin, it read, 50 is nifty. Well, Anita wore the pin to work that day. It turned out to be a great day at work for her all day long, seeing that big red button pin that she wore that said, 50 is nifty. People kept on saying things like, Anita, you don't look 50 at all, or Anita, when I turn 50, I sure hope that I look like you do, or Anita, you look so young for being 50 years old. It was great, Anita said. It was so affirming at a time when I needed a little positive reaffirmation, having just turned 50. And now I knew, she says, that they were either lying to me or they were really stretching the truth quite a bit, and I knew that they knew that I knew that. But then what are friends for, she says. But you know what happens when you are told to lie often enough, or you tell a lie often enough yourself, you know what happens, you start believing it. And by the end of the day, she said, I felt absolutely fabulous. I mean, I floated home from work that day, planning all the way that I would jokingly tell my husband that I decided to dump him because he was way too old for a young-looking gal like me. And then arriving home, she had just shut the front door and she planted herself in her favorite chair to reflect upon all of the positive strokes that she'd gotten during the course of the day and the doorbell rang. And she answered it and there was a young girl from the florist shop with a lovely arrangement of flowers in her hands, flowers for Anita's birthday, beautiful flowers. And Anita stood there just admiring those flowers and took them from the young girl and admired them some more and the young girl kept standing there waiting of course for her tip. It's then that the delivery girl noticed that big red button on Anita's blouse and she said 50 huh? And Anita answered yes the big 5-0 and then pausing thinking I can handle one more compliment today before my birthday ends. The girl said 50. That's great, ma'am. My grandparents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, too. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is sometimes? Sometimes, all too often perhaps, just when you're starting to feel good about yourself or about something, that someone steps in and bursts that self-inflated bubble. It might happen because of what a spouse says, it might happen because of what a child says, it might happen because of what a delivery person says, inadvertently, unintendingly. It might happen indeed because of what St. Paul says. Because you see, St. Paul in our text for today bursts that self-inflated bubble that anybody of any generation might have, that anyone who thinks that he has accomplished something of his own and his own efforts. Paul comes along and he certainly bursts that bubble very quickly. And he does it as he speaks to the Christians in the city of Ephesus a couple of thousand years ago. And that's important because the city of Ephesus is a city very much like cities in our own area today. A city that bears a real resemblance to a city, for example, like San Jose or like San Francisco, a city of celebrated prosperity, a city of affluence, and thus also a city that might be a major tourist attraction for people of the time. After all, who wouldn't want to see the great city by the sea or city by the bay, we might say? with its huge theater that was built right into Mount Pion, 
In the center of the city, a theater that was so massive that it could hold between 25,000 and 50,000 people at any given point in time, sort of like AT&T Park over there in San Francisco. Huge city with all kinds of attractions to it, a city whose main road indeed was 70 feet wide. And it went all the way from the massive columns that were down there in city central right downtown Ephesus all the way down to the ports and all the way down to the docks. Down there where the east met the west. Sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? A city which also was the center of a lot of pagan rites and practices and religion. A city that tolerated about everything but anyone who would come along like St. Paul and say there's a right and there's a wrong, and by the way, you're wrong. A city which boasted one of the seven wonders of the world at the time, the great temple of the goddess Diana, a temple four times the size of the great Parthenon in Athens, a, a temple that was supported on a hundred massive columns, many of them exquisitely sculptured all the way around the top of them, wealthy, prominent, innovative, creative, independent people, self-made, self-sufficient, people who worked hard to put themselves into positions of influence and affluence and honor, prided themselves in their individual and in their corporate accomplishments. Sounds an awful lot like cities we might know and like people that we might know. Proud people who thought, I've got what I've got because I went out and I got it. And like so many self-made and so many self-sufficient folks in our own day, those Ephesians were doing exactly what so many people in our own day do. They, they made a mistake of taking what they would accomplish and what they would do in the social realm, in the civil realm, and they transferred that idea of working hard and getting things forward, which is fine in the civil realm, and it's the way it should work. But transferring that over into the other kingdom, into the spiritual realm, it doesn't work. But that's what man does. If I do what I do over here and I work hard for it, then certainly in the spiritual realm too, that must be the way it operates. It must be the way it works, that you work hard and you'll get this. You'll work hard and you'll get that. You do things right and you earn this. You earn that. You earn heaven. You earn all that heaven holds if only you'll do what's right. That's the way it works, isn't it? And along comes St. Paul, and he bursts that bubble. And he says, no, that's not the way it works at all. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You're not going to be saved by what you've done. You're not going to be saved because of what you've made yourself. You have no place in the city above in the holy Jerusalem because you happen to make good down here below in the city of Ephesus or in the city of Jerusalem or in the city of San Jose or in the city of San Francisco doesn't work that way not here you're not going to be saved on the basis of what you've done down there you're going to be saved only on the basis of what one man of what Jesus Christ has done for you because God was in him reconciling the world unto himself because we heard in today's gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that's what saves you and so it is that just a few verses before our text for today Saint Paul says look you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins you were by nature children of wrath even like all the rest of mankind but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, he's the one who made us alive together in Christ Jesus. Now think on those words and tell me, who's the one that's doing all the work in these passages? Is it you? Me? Is it the sinner who by his work accomplishes what he hopes to have? No. Paul says we're all dead men. You were dead 
in your transgressions. Dead men don't talk. Dead men don't walk. Dead men don't work. Dead men can do absolutely nothing because they are dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were dead in each and every one of them, in trespasses and transgressions and sins. You're dead, dead, dead. We clearly are not the active agents of our salvation. We were dead. But guess who is the active agent in our salvation? Who is the one who is at work, actively, powerfully engaging the problem of our sin and the situation of our death? Better yet, let St. Paul tell you who it is. Let him tell you who it is who's doing all the work for your salvation because right before our text for today he says, But God, being rich in his mercy, made us alive. God raised us up together with Christ. God seated us at his right hand in the heavenly places. God, God, God to our dead, dead, dead. God is the active agent. God is the one who's doing all of the work. We are but the passive beneficiaries of all of God's grace. And that's why St. Paul, in one felt swoop, disarms once and for all any and every notion that we even the slightest way have contributed anything at all to our salvation and he says for by grace an undeserved attitude of god toward you for by grace have you been saved through faith that not of yourselves even it's the gift of god to you not as a result of works lest any man should in any way be able to boast not even the faith that you have in Jesus Christ is something of which you can take pride as though it were a work of your own that you've accomplished. No, because faith, it tells us right there, is a gift from God himself created in you by the Holy Spirit and holy baptism through his word, sustained within you by his word and by his sacraments. Paul insists that even our faith that apprehends the work of Christ and trustingly takes hold of it and clings to it, even that faith is a gift of God, not as a result of your works, lest any man should boast. Over against then every form of works righteousness, all the way from the blatant kind that says, by my good conduct and by what I've done, because I've been a good father or a good husband or because I've been a good mother or wife or whatever it is that we might claim as our own, that blatant kind of works righteousness that I have therefore attained salvation for myself by what I've been, from that kind of blatant self-righteousness to the more subtle kind that says, well, God did his part for me by sending a son, but now I have to do my part. I've got to add to what God has done for me over against every form of self-righteousness stands this powerful statement of the Apostle Paul, for by grace have you been saved, through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God to you, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, God's grace provides you not only the Savior from your sins, but God's grace provides you with the faith that then clings throughout your life to that Savior. That's the formula. The divine formula is not Christ's work on the cross plus my work of faith for him and in him. That's not the formula. It's Christ's work on the cross plus the Holy Spirit's work within me. That is what equals salvation. It's not God's work plus mine. It's not 50% his and 50% mine or even 75% his and 25 mine or 99% his and 1% mine. It's 100% his work in me and for me that has brought me salvation. Grace. That's what grace is. And that's why St. Paul has to conclude our text by saying, you see, we're God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. It's all his doing what he has done for us. 
It's all a free gift of his amazing, amazing grace. And it's no wonder then, is it, that in the writings of St. Paul in his 13 epistles in the New Testament, we find the word grace no less than 101 times. Over 100 times, Paul uses that word and speaks of that concept. No wonder that the apostle of grace has such a phenomenal impact upon that great preacher of grace, Martin Luther, who insisted that all the world needs to know that it's sola gratia, that it's by grace alone that we're saved and not by works of the law. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that's what it means to say that we're God's workmanship, that we've been created in Christ Jesus. He's done it all, and he's done it all for you. Now, it takes a little while for that wonderful message of grace and for all that God has done in Christ to make its way through the filter of this messed up mortal matter that we call our minds, tainted as they are by sin. Indeed, even lifelong Christians never fully grasp and comprehend the full measure of God's grace. It's so much greater than we are, and thankfully it's so much greater than any of our sins are. And it's because it's greater than we are that St. Paul stands back and he says in his last epistle that he wrote, he stands back and he says that we are then to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because the grace of God is so phenomenal that we'll never outgrow it and understand it fully. And as we do, as we grow in that grace and understanding our knowledge of the, the grace of God in Christ, you know what happens? We're moved more and more by that grace of God and His Holy Spirit working within us to do those things that God would have us do, not so that we will be saved. We're already saved. No, we do them because now we who are saved have been, as the text for today makes so clear, we've been saved for a purpose. Isn't that what it says? We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazingly, even the good then that you do in this world and in this life is something that God has already prepared for you to do. He is working, His Holy Spirit working in you to accomplish that which He wills you to do, and so that He's doing it through you. Even the good you do is what God does through you. Elsewhere, St. Paul says, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And often his good pleasure is that his blood-bought people find themselves doing with others what others have problems doing all by themselves. And how God has so often worked through you to do that, whether it's with a spouse or with a family member or with a neighbor or a friend or a fellow saint in Christ, strengthening them, encouraging them, bearing burdens with them, burden-bearing, burden-sharing, call it what you will, whichever it's God's people being fitted out by God, where God himself is going to work through them to help somebody else bear the burdens that they otherwise would have to bear alone. Speaking of being fitted out by God to bear burdens, there's a wonderful legend about the quiet years, sometimes called the silent years, of our Lord Jesus' life, those years between his late teens and his 20s. The legend claims that during that time, his late teens and his early and mid-twenties, the legend says that, that Jesus had gained quite a phenomenal reputation as one of the best master yoke makers in the Nazareth region of Galilee. And people, it is said, would come from miles around for a yoke that he might make and fashion the yoke for them. After all, he was the carpenter's son. He was a master yoke maker, so it said. When customers arrived with their team of oxen, Jesus would spend considerable time measuring the team, their height, their width, the space between them, the size of their shoulders, measuring every contour precisely, carefully, even lovingly. And within a week, the team of oxen would be returned to the master yoke maker of Nazareth, and he would, the legend goes, carefully place his newly made yoke 
upon their shoulders, watching for all of the rough places between the yoke and where their shoulders might meet, smoothing out the edges of each yoke, fitting them perfectly to each ox of the team. Such care, such precision. And dear friends, the master yoke maker, you can be sure, does no less for you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Don't misunderstand the word easy there, by the way. Its root word in Greek, Christos, speaks directly of tailor-made yokes. They were well-fitting. That's what the word really means. We translate easy, well-fitting. The well-fitting yokes of the master yoke maker, the well-fitting yokes of Jesus fitting exactly to your life, fitting you perfectly well, not rubbing you unduly, but bringing rest to worn and to weary and to burden-bearing souls. And bear this in mind as well, the well-fitting yokes that Jesus would allow us to bear, the well-fitting yokes of our yoke maker, our master, and our Lord Jesus Christ, they're always designed for two. For two. For you and for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our strength, who is our salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
particularly Hugh Ryan, hospitalized late this last week with complicating conditions. We recall also Don James continuing to recover in ICU from a recent heart attack. And we recall also Martin Borkenhagen confined to bed at home in these days due to weakness. For these and for others, we now pray. For the undeserved gift to the whole world of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, given to reconcile all the world with himself by Christ's atoning death upon the cross, we give thanks. And we pray that through the means of grace, the Holy Spirit would work to draw the trusting gaze of many unto Christ crucified. For whoever believes in him shall not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For pastors that are eager to and steadfastly do preach, and people who eagerly and steadfastly hear and rejoice in salvation, not of ourselves, but by God's grace, through the instrument of God-given faith, that in all seasons God's free gift of salvation may be boldly confessed and be the comfort of those who are weary and heavy laden. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray for seminaries and universities, colleges and schools, that truth may be professed openly, that teachers may be given vigor to attend to the right instruction of their students, and that students would, with reverent humility, gladly learn. We pray also for the teachers and students who must teach and learn in environments hostile to Christianity, that they might be given discerning minds, wisdom, courage, and faith to endure. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray for the leaders of government throughout the world, and particularly for our own executive, judicial, and legislative branches of our government, that they might pursue that which is just and good for the good of our land. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray for families, that fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, grandparents and children would live in harmony and rejoice together in the good that God grants as families celebrate special anniversaries of birth and marriage and baptism and other occasions. To this end, we give thanks with the Ashton family as they celebrate anniversaries of birth. We give thanks also with Vicar Jerry Hayes and wife Gretchen, son-in-law and daughter of Gary Albrand, for the gift of an adopted child. May new father, mother, and brother Noah be a blessing to this child, even as the new member of the family would be a blessing unto them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who are ill or infirmed, we pray. We mention by name brothers in Christ, Hugh Ryan and Don James, both hospitalized with serious conditions. We give thanks for the stability granted to Don, and according to God's will, we ask that God would grant continued recovery. We pray also that through his doctors and attendants, healing might also be granted to Hugh. May God also grant patience to his servant Martin Borkenhagen during this time of physical weakness. We pray that Martin might be upheld in the faith and that according to our Lord's will, strength would be restored. May God be with them and their families in these difficult days, assuring them that if he spared not his own son but gave him up for us all, he along with him surely will give us all things needful. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We give thanks also with those who recently have been blessed by healing, be that by treatment or surgery. And we ask that God would continue his healing power in their life according to his will and for their good. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We give thanks for those gone before us whom God by his grace has kept safe in the faith and who now rest in heaven's glory. And we ask that God would preserve us also well in this wilderness below, that we might by his grace and through the gift of faith keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and come at last to the land of our promised inheritance, where we will with the angels and all the faithful and in the presence of the living God forever enjoy the salvation won by Jesus Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the Church, your Holy Spirit, and the wisdom which comes down from above, that your word may not be bound, but have free course, and be preached to the joy and edifying of Christ's holy people, so that in steadfast faith we may serve you, and in the confession of your name, abide unto the end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.